Hello, welcome along to another episode of Soundtracking with me, Edith Bowman, my weekly podcast where I dive into, hopefully, have a really interesting and thoroughly wonderful conversation about film and music. This week, um, I've been going on about this film for quite some time, um, and there's a good reason why. Um, I think it's absolutely phenomenal. It's had a really profound effect on me as well, and I just am thrilled that I'm able to talk about it in great detail on this podcast because our latest guests on Soundtracking are writer, director Andrew Haig and composer Emily Levenez-Farouche who join me to discuss their work on Andrew's film All of Us Strangers. Now I don't want to go into too much detail about the kind of narrative of the film but it stars the wonderful Andrew Scott, Paul Meskell, Jamie Bell and Claire Foy and it tells the story of a lonely gay man who mysteriously meets his parents on visiting his childhood home, despite the fact that they died in a car crash when he was a young boy. Emily's score is absolutely gorgeous, and so we will begin with her cue, Drifting Over the Edge. Andrew, Emily, thank you so, so much for coming to talk about All of Us Strangers. Um, I was just saying to Andrew, Emily, the idea that this film, with every viewing that I have with it, I have a deeper connection with an element to the story or a character. And um, it's just a beautiful gift because it's not that that often that you can kind of leave a cinema and, and a mirror's placed at you in a way, in terms of asking you to have conversations about your own situation, history, future, all that kind of thing. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. That's lovely to hear. Music is a huge part of this film, huge part of of the story, the characters, the it kind of gives us glimpses to things as well in in a beautiful and brilliant way. But but Andrew, if you don't mind just starting with you in terms of this is based on a a book from, from years ago, but it's very different to the book. But what was it about that story for you that, connected with you do you think that made you kind of want to use it as a jumping off point for for your film and when I when I first read the novel it was this idea which is in the novel of meeting your parents again long after they've gone now first of all I was like my parents are still alive I should add right but at the same time it felt so incredible a concept to start to explore how the past has affected us, how we have relationships in our lives and how we don't always say what we need to say and how complicated it is. 
to sort of find love and understand that love both within your family and in romantic relationships as well and how they're all kind of wrapped up together. So I just kind of really like the idea of what that concept allowed me to do. And then I turned it into this sort of like queer love story at the same time, which isn't in the novel and how that related to family. Um, but I think it's what, it's what you said before. It's like when I read it, I felt like there was a conversation in the novel that everybody has in their head. We all want to kind of understand ourselves and our relationships better. And none of us are very good at actually having any of those conversations. Yeah. We don't have them at the time. I mean, even now you can watch the film and you'll be like, okay, I know what I need to say now to people. Whether you say that to people is a totally different matter. So I found all that just such interesting kind of material to talk about love and family and connection and longing and all of those things that I think I've always been interested in. I might kind of imagine it was easy to write, but, <laughs> but you know, in terms of, of the structure of it and the kind of, you know, I'm, I'm cautious, obviously, for people who haven't seen the film who might be listening to this, but I will, will obviously put a kind of a spoiler at the front of it and make sure that people haven't sort of thing because it kind of takes your breath away. So many moments, but two particular moments towards the end of the film sort of thing as well. In terms of writing that and writing that in a way that as a viewer and as someone reading it, you you have no idea, really. You have questions, but you have no idea until you get to those those moments. How do you write that? <laughs> yeah, it took a long time, to be honest. And I think the hardest thing is I knew I wanted the film to have a mystery to it, that you felt like it was uncovering stuff within us all that we can't articulate. So what I didn't want to do is over-articulate that in the film because it wouldn't make sense. It has to feel like it's working. You can you can see the film as it working from like an unconscious level. It's Adam's unconscious that is bringing all this to life. So I wanted everything to feel like it was playing with our own sense of understanding and our own unconscious. So it wasn't always easy. And it was like, how much do I reveal? How much do I hide? How much do I need to tell the audience? Mm. And in the end, it was just about the emotional through line. How am I feeling emotionally from scene to scene? How is Adam feeling emotionally from scene to scene? And so I just try to kind of dig into that at all points. Because look, the film goes to some crazy places. You're like, what's happening? Where are we? What's this about right now? But I always felt like if you sort of just allow the audience to accept that, they'll accept yeah, it. Don't need what? You don't have to worry too much. Well, I don't think I ever did. At any point, mm-hmm. kind of go, what's going on? Because you're there with it. And it's those performances as well that that you're immediately, you know, you're you're immediately captivated by these these characters and their story. And you want to know more and you want to give them a hug or you want it, you know, all that kind of thing. You feel so connected to them from the off. Did you have, you know, Andrew in particular in mind when you were writing Adam's character? Or did you, uh- did you ever do you write with people in mind or? I don't really write with people in mind. It's too sort of like, I, I kind of write with myself in mind, I guess. So I, or people I know in mind or, so that's sort of how I approach the material. And then it's afterwards, it's like, well, obviously I can't be in it because I can't act and I would couldn't think of anything worse and it would be the worst film in the history of the universe. So who am I going to find? And I, um, Andrew very quickly was the person that I wanted to go to first. We didn't go to one else, we just went to Andrew. He just felt right. I think that's all I can say is I've loved him as an actor. I yeah. felt like there was so much in him as well that could sort of come out within this performance. Yeah. And I think it's such a beautiful performance, subtle, emotional, contained, expressive, all of those things that you really want a performance to be. And, you know, I'm just, I, I feel so lucky. Sometimes when I see them all, even on the poster, the four of them, I'm like, oh God, that was good. That was lucky. I'm lucky I got those four. 
the way that they're performed in the way, sorry, Emily, I will get to music in a second. There's just so much to ask about this film. It's so great. Those opportunities that they each have as, as characters and actors to work together. So, you know, whether it's Paul and Andrew or it's Andrew and, and Jamie or Andrew and Claire, or they, they're just wonderful moments that you can see that they are just kind of relishing this opportunity as performers, as artists to to have these um, these kind of playmates in those scenes, I think, as well. Yeah, and they were so they were so beautiful together, all of them. They were so excited to be working with each other. And I think it's a little bit about like how you, how you spoke before about it. It's like I wanted there to be lots of in points to the film, so that it because it's also it's about this guy in his forties who's gay and is reconnecting with his parents. It's also about parenting. It's also about all of us as children and all of us as parents and all of us as lovers and all of us struggling in relationships and all of us wanting relationships, whatever it might be. And so I wanted to give all of those characters almost like different endpoints to the story that would then speak to the audience in a way that it can be both a very specific story, but also be something that speaks on a much, much kind of more universal level. Did you write in, when you were writing the script, were a lot of the needle drops written in? Because also for me, I had that question of, you know, is the music, because of this, this idea of him going back to spend time with his parents when they were a certain age, that were the needle drops from that point in his life that we hear throughout the film and the fact that he kind of almost is listening to them in present day to, you know, that kind of thing where it's on top of the pops or it's, but it's like that record collection that we see, you know, the vinyls, that's what I call music with the house Martins or Erasure and Frankie and stuff. So those, those needle drops that you use are so vital and so important and particularly the lyrical content of a lot of them with how they are almost internal conversations that are going in or the scene with the pet shop when they're when they're decorating the tree and the, the lyrics she's singing the lyrics of the song which is what she wants to say to him but she can't put it into conversation it's brilliant sorry that's not even a question that was just <laughs> so many observations and thoughts yeah because it does talk to what i think is like the incredible power of music and especially actually pop music and because look, there's, there's so many songs in my life that I have loved and it is like time travel. I put them on now. I put them on on my record player and I'm like, oh, OK, I'm either I'm six years old. I'm 12 years old. I'm in a club in the 90s. I'm at university and I'm like, OK, I can literally feel how I felt. So it is like time travel. Mm -hmm. And to me, these are songs that I loved as a kid. All of these songs that are in there, they're all in the script, pretty much completely scripted. Songs that I loved, but they also just kind of speak to the importance of pop music for teenagers, I think, and for younger people, because it's at a time when you can't really understand the world. You can't understand big emotions. You can't understand all of that kind of thing. Pop music allows us when we're young to like experience big emotions. That's why pop music is so special. You know, when I was a kid and I bought Petrol Boys, Please, the first album, and listen to it over and over and over again, or the Frankie Goes to Hollywood album, or the Erasure album. They were all, all the House Martins. I adored those bands when I was younger. And so it was actually the, the most enjoyable part of the whole process <laughs> was like, okay, what songs am I going to put in? There was a list of like 20 songs. I'm like, but do I? Is it Build by the House Martins or is it Flag Day? Because I love them both and I don't know which one is going to be right. 
you know, so it's all about choosing those right songs that, that, as you say, speak to the scene, because that's what pop music does to us. It can speak to our emotions and we put it on when we're trying to understand or feel or have some kind of connection with how we're feeling emotionally. And then you bring in the wonderful Emily Venice Farouche to to just create this extraordinary score to accompany that and really be a companion through this film as well. Emily, what was your were you sent the script or how was this project presented to you? And congratulations, by the way. I've been listening to the score all day, which is out now oh. for people listening. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's stunning. Thank you. I, well, I send the cut because uh, Andrew and Jonathan had been editing for a few months and it's just one of those situations, you watch the film and you kind of know. I remember telling those two that I thought the film was one of the best I've watched in a very long time. I don't think they fully believed me, but I kind of knew that it was like a really special, meaningful film and that I really, really wanted to write something just for it, if you know what I mean, just a sound that would match the performances and match the tone and just uh, really anchor us with Adam because I don't know it was it was an interesting one because when I I watched that performance it was such a mix of finding myself in him but also finding a part of me what you were saying about parenting I I just wish I could go into the screen and, and give him a hug like I just felt such a desire to be connecting with him and I think when you have such a strong response to a film like a performance I kind of knew I would be able to write music that come from that reaction and yeah then we started chatting sending music back and forth and yeah Andrew, did you have an idea of what you what you saw kind of running alongside, you know, all these really big tunes, really, you know, in terms of I had to can't compete with that, but you're not trying to compete with that. It's got to be something completely different. So what did you you know, what were the conversations in the when you started that off with Emily? I was kind of really nervous about it, if I'm honest. We'd put some temp music down that I really liked the music that was there, but it wasn't working in the way that it needed to work at all. It was interesting music. But it's it's so delicate tonally, the film. And I know I needed the music to help you transition throughout these different parts of the story, through his present in London and this kind of version of the past that isn't the past, that is his parents and all of these things. And I needed it to feel so delicate, emotional, vulnerable. It needed to sometimes be like terrifying and discordant and other times really warm and enveloping. Mm. I mean, Emily will know this from having to talk to me. (laughs) I kind of know what I like when I hear something, Mm. but I'm not very good. Like, I love music, but I don't really understand music. So I don't fully understand, like, I need it to be 
violins or synths. So I'm not very good at understanding that. So I think it was just about when I heard it, when Emily talks about how much she felt about it emotionally, I was like, well, could that just make sense? I feel like she's going to compose it from an emotional place. Actually, in my head, it had been more synth based. And then Emily very rightly was like, yes, we need lots of synth because it's got to have this 80s um, idea to it. But you need organic, real instruments in there too to bring kind of a depth of that emotion. you know that kind of it's it's so beautiful and you kind of have a you have a, a wisp of kind of traditional instrumentation and then a flicker of electronic kind of coming in there it sounds I mean I'm terrible as well Andrew but like kind of deep cello and then keys and things like that and it's and that's so you've got to set a mood you are and it is set in the mood sort of thing as well so that opening piece in itself must be such an important thing to to navigate to not tell too much to not reveal too much at the start of the film. Yeah, I think one of the the idea in a sense that we mentioned about the opening cue is how it could be almost like an orchestra tuning or little snippet of things that congregate and then progressively shape into something. Like he's looking outside and it's almost the beginning of the journey because maybe it's the moment he starts thinking mm. about his yearning for love. And it's quite interesting because that cue, I remember... I send it quite early because I, I think in my head I knew where the score should go. But I send it before sending the development of the score. So in isolation, it made no sense. But then the more I, more I wrote, the more when we went back to that that version, it fell into place. But I don't know, it just, yeah, it just felt very, very instinctive what would be the right amount of dreaminess and mm. how delicate we can bring it, but also how inviting it needs to it needs to make you question in a positive way you want to you want to know what this man is thinking about and what is about to happen yeah i mean i i actually think in retrospect not much changed did it emily in that first cue like i think it was really was the pretty much the first thing you did and you're right it took me time to understand where the music was going to be like oh yeah yeah that's totally right because then, yeah, you don't have music again and really until he's about to start. There's a little bit of music pops in at one point after Harry's been there and then it comes in again when he goes down to the to the, to the the park. But even when I listen to it now, like I, the screenings I've been to, there's something about, it's like an overture, isn't it, to yes. the whole film. There's a sort of low, bassy swell of something that still kind of makes me like, 
I can, I'm like, I'm breathing in. I feel like I'm breathing something in and then I'm holding my breath for a while. And then I think that's, I think it's so, it's so beautiful in that and how it makes you feel. It's, it's really special. Cold, remember it breathes, don't you? As well, so it's like, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. That one was an interesting one because it's it's a moment of you have to explore lust in a sense uh, rather than love. Lust that then you know becomes love later on, but it, it's kind of a, a slightly more muscular and uh, highlighting some something that comes back quite a lot actually in the film, which is the importance of touch, even ghosts touch in this film and and it's just like how do you recreate those kind of jolts that you you feel when someone you're attracted to touches you um mm. so it's just just try, always staying with uh, adam's perspective and adam's physical feeling in a sense lovely so kind of like fragments isn't it so there's fragments of sound like when they touch their hands or they pull yeah. their hands away there's these little motifs that keep appearing yeah. and they are that little jolts of of, of tenderness or, or whatever they might be and they really work on you know a kind of deep level when you're listening to it that's so interesting you talking about it coming back to adam's perspective so there's a little bit of cue in the lift with paul's character in my crazy notes as i'm you know when i'm watching i've got heartfelt and lonely and so is that Adam's perspective of him as opposed to the music telling us how, how hard he's feeling? We did call it the loneliness motif, actually, so you're pretty oh. spot on. Yes. Um, <laughs> 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 I think there's like a couple of moments, actually, that motif is probably more linked to Harry and it, it comes back um, at the end. There's like a, a stretch that sample um, when he first appears and then it comes back a second time um, 
almost as as when we introduced Harry. So I think this is like one of the rare moments where we are also focusing on Harry's experience of loneliness um, as well as Adam's. Once he's visited for the first time, is all I'll say, it's a really physical sort of atmospheric kind of cue that's almost sort of makes me feel like he's almost levitating um, <laughs> in a way. And and I and then I just love like following on from that, how when he falls asleep, the smile on his face. And it's just that whole kind of journey is just like, you know, there's not much dialogue there really. It's just but the combination of the performances, the music, the way it's been shot. Andrew as well is just like it's just oh it's beautiful that was one of the moments that I like when he goes back down to see his parents again was one of the moments that I was the most terrified of working you know there's a you know it's not the easiest thing to make work that thing what's about to happen and I think levitating is a really beautiful way to think about it and that's I think how we thought about it either it's levitating or I thought about it almost like sinking deeper into like a hypnotic state and each time you get to one level of it you feel like oh i'm sort of dropping a little bit into something else and dropping into something else or floating up above the surface and it is it's like bringing i think emmy did such an amazing job about bringing us into this strange liminal space where what happens in the film then makes sense without that it's it doesn't work And then the, the, when when he's um, there's so many. I've just got little little notes on various cues of that's so all right if you don't mind kind of going through a few because they're they're just really they're really connected with me as well. And there's so after he's come out to to his mum and she says you don't look gay, which is just a brilliant line. It's just like that whole element to the storyline is so interesting and so 
it's just so brilliantly told. But the cue after that is it's quite piercing in a way in terms of the idea that, you know, it's kind of his heart's a little bit broken from the way that she's responded in a way. Yeah, that's exactly that. Because I think before that, you kind of played dry. You just let the the humor, in a sense, of the situation of the or the strangeness of the of the situation. But there's just one moment where you just have to get back into how Adam is reading is reading the situation, which is for him the rejection is always kind of guessed this parent would have to who is as an adult, and it's it's that hurt that is confronting because it's, it's come out and it's not gone well at all. And I remember because in the, when he goes in the train, there's, a, there's effects of fracture, it fractures his reflection. It's just, it's, it breaks. So it's just this, again, trying to, to have a, a dialogue with the images and trying to reflect those, that sense of heartbreak and that sense of noise identity being fractured. But there is the, probably the, illusion of, mm-hmm. of what this going back in time and talking to this parents, this illusion that it's going to be all fine and dandy. And if they were still alive, they would embrace him and it would be okay. And they would have progressed in time just the way he has. And, and that gets destroyed by that interaction. And it was quite important that the music reflects that. And I think it's quite interesting when you see it with an audience, because there's a certain tone and then you have those slightly harsh tones in the music and it, it kind of shifts the mood because I think all of a sudden people realize that it is a, it is funny to a certain extent. It, it kind of reflects the attitude of the time and probably people who would have been parent in the 80s, that's kind of how it was explained to them on medias mm-hmm. to have yeah. a, someone who was gay in the family was just like, oh, um, AIDS and all this kind of stereotypes. So it's quite good, I think, to to get people out of that mind frame and, and remind them that on the other side of this conversation, there is someone who feels rejected by their mother. It's so It was so important to me in that scene that you felt like it was about the mother, but also it's about everything that he felt at that mm. age. Growing up gay in the 1980s was not a fun time to be growing up gay. And suddenly he's feeling all of that again. So I love how in the music, it sort of feels like it's bursting from within the kind of pain that... You know, he's in his 40s now and he's fine. He's got over all his stuff and he's living fine. But there it is popping up again from inside. Um, and I think it does, it's done it beautifully with the music. It really helps that.
and that's another role of those pop songs as well, I think, Andrew, as well. As weird, I was doing a, I did a show for Radio 2 a couple of weeks ago, which was about disco music uh, in movies. And I was saying within that, that, that I feel like disco and pop music in particular was a friend to the LGBTQ community in a way that it was kind of, it was a safe place. It was music that kind of allowed them to be free, allows you to be who you should be and who you are. More so than any other genre of music, I think. Absolutely, look, look disco brought. You know, disco came from the the gay scene in in you know for, in New York and you know in America in the in the seventies, and it came out of that scene and all those cl- and into the eighties, all those clubs that Paradise Garage and all that incredible music that was bringing people together in those clubs, yeah. and you know a lot of pop music and a lot of like British pop music, I think, came out of that that idea musically and it, you know still you look at them now and they're so subversive these are like queer bands in the early 80s in the mid 80s and they're on top of the pops every day they were constantly i don't you don't get that now when we live in mm. you know it's 2023 and i think it was a really exciting time for music in the early 80s um and for lots of like queer kids growing up we you could have felt like someone was telling you a secret on top of the pops and someone was understanding us. And then unfortunately, I think there was a backlash to that. I think as AIDS really took hold and homophobia actually got worse again in the mid eighties, those kind of bands was, were pushed to the margins again. Yeah. I mean, the, the power of love in particular, you know, in terms of the way that that's used diegetically, not just musically, but lyrically at the end of the film. It's like, I mean, I think I sat in my seat for like, a good it felt like two days afterwards to be honest because it's just kind of like whew. I mean it's such a beautiful creative way to bring together the artistry of words music performance story all of that really do you mind talking just a little bit about that particular song yeah I mean look that song was in my head the minute I started thinking about making the film or writing the film it's like for some, like when I was a kid, I used to love that song. And when that came out in, I think it's eight, it, well, it's early 80s, 83, maybe something like that. You know, I'm not very old. I'm like 11 years old or whatever it is. Coming to terms with the fact that I might be different and that I'm gay, but not quite understanding it. And that song completely spoke to me. And, you know, and it's of no surprise now I look back at it. It's like a big, bombastic love song sung by a gay guy in the early 80s. And it was a number one on top of the pops. And so it felt like it was it's like an ode to longing that love might be possible for people like me and other people that were growing up gay in the 80s. And so I've always loved the song. I've loved Welcome to Pleasure Dome album. So it made sense. And then I felt like it had to be at the end of this film. It had to be this almost like cosmic ending to what the film is. And, you know, I remember that music video, which is also set at Christmas and there's a big star and, you know, they're, they're, they're going on camels across, across the desert. And so there is some little callback to that. And just this idea that it can be part of a film like this and it is a way for Adam, what the song is about to him is what he wants to give Harry in that moment. It's like, I will protect you. I can't say what's going to happen in the world. I don't know. I don't understand what the future might be. But right here in this moment, I am here for you. And I will protect you from the hooded claw and keep the vampires from your door. So to me, it just has such a like beautiful sentiment. And it's big. It's bold. <laughs> and it's you could almost say that it's a little bit silly. But at the same time, I'm like, I love that. Oh, totally. <laughs> Thank you. 
Feels like fire I'm so in love with you Purge the soul Make love your that as well you have that kind of you know that the, the diner scene um and just that those words of stay a bit longer and the whole yeah. diner scene it's like musically it's almost like a sunrise mm-hmm. in a way and when the food comes there's a couple of things just very small moments where when the way he says thank you oh my god and then the way that paul says hello those i mean thank you and hello are very simple things to say but they're like they can mean the world and in this and the way that they are said they just like whew, get right to my core sort of thing as well. Do you mind talking a little bit about that diner scene and and musically and yeah and and what's being kind of said in that performance, those performances as well? Uh, Emily, do you want to talk about it musically? I mean, it was so hard that scene. I was. was <laughs> I mean, because Emily always said this thing to me, which was so good. It's like, look, the performance is so good in that scene that we cannot overdo it with the music. And sometimes my instinct when I've watched it 10,000 times is like, oh, let's do more. Let's do more. We need to like make people feel it. And then it's like, no, you feel it. You feel it. So what can we do to like just hold it almost and just like push it so gently? I think it does feel like a bit like a sunrise because it's both really sad, but also there is some kind of hope and some new dawning that comes from it musically as well as as well as emotionally. Yeah, I always thought that this is a, a scene that if you go very lyrical, very romantic, a strong melody and stuff, it just it just feels like you're trying to lead uh, the audience uh, rather than just letting people respond to the performances. And they are so strong, and it's it's just so heartbreaking that you can. I think you could even have no music, and it would still like make people very emotional. Um, so I just wanted something to feel very warm, very supportive in a mm. sense, like a big blanket of warm, gentle sounds that would just help you relax into your emotions. And we did have that that kind of sense of lift when mm. the mother character looks up, you know, they're holding hands and the sun is on her face and that's just the moment where the music really lifts because it has to feel like a a goodbye that is not it has he is able he is now able to move on yeah. it's a goodbye where things have been said when where things have been repaired and it's a it's a loving goodbye rather than a completely heartbreaking goodbye so it needs to feel like rather than being destroyed you're kind of being rebuilt by this mm. music that really yeah, it just carries you and lifts you and, and make you feel comfortable and confident that you can allow yourself to feel those those emotions, but never, ever guiding you. And I think often it's kind of almost a little bit behind the emotion to just let it be felt first and then helping it grow rather <laughs> than leading you on to how you should respond to 
because again, like I remember watching this this scene for the first time and just being like, oh my god, like like you know. So I knew it was exactly. I knew it was it was working. So once you know the scene is working, you just play with it rather than trying to change it. I love what you say about it being supportive. I think that's true. Like the scenes with that and then a scene with Adam and Howie later. It's about what is love about? Like, what is it about? It is basically about supporting other people. Like we often think about what is love for me? How am I supposed to feel? But really love, like when you're a parent, it's about giving love to your child. And I feel like, and then when you're an older child and your parents are old, it's about giving love back to them. And when you're in a relationship, it's just as much as what you give to them as what they give to you. And I think sometimes we forget about that. We Love can be quite a selfish thing. We're like, how do I feel? Am I in love? It's like, no, no, no. Yeah. What are you doing to them? Are you there yeah. for them? Because that is the important bit, that compassion. That's also a really lovely thing, finally, before we run out of time, that about the, the father and son scene as well with Jamie and Andrew. I mean, that scene is just absolutely gorgeous you talked earlier about kind of with Andrew and the casting of him and and you have I feel like you've given him the kind of the thing that he's been that us as fans have been dying for him to do uh, but also I think with Jamie as well you've given him the opportunity to play something that he's just brought so much kind of truth and honesty and compassion and love to this role as well and that scene I think is just absolutely stunning I love that scene so much they're both so good in it mm. I mean look it's no surprise to me that they're so good in it, but I think you're right. It feels like we're seeing something else in them yeah. as performance that we sort of know is there and we know that it's about them as people, but suddenly how we're seeing it. Like I've loved Jamie for years, you know, since he was, you know, little old Billy Elliot. Yeah, and it yeah. feels like somehow this is related to that somehow. And I know it felt like that to him and I adore him in the, in the film. He's like, whenever I go on stage now and have to do like Q and A's, I sort of feel like he is my dad. And I just want to go and like, I want him to hug me. And I want to, I, I literally want to call him dad, even though he's like 16 years younger than me. He's become my father. So I can't, I can't get out of my mind now. It's so funny. Oh, I love that. Well, listen, um, I'm so glad that we, we got to have this chat and, and celebrate your, 
your absolutely beautiful work. Um, I can't thank you enough for, for the, your time today, but also just for, for your collaboration and, and beautiful storytelling in this film. It's, it's a very, very special piece of work. Thank you very much. Thanks, Edith. strangers that's whose house is this rounding off this latest episode of soundtracking with andrew haig and emily levenace farouche a huge thanks to andrew and emily for taking the time to talk to me all of us strangers is in cinemas now and is a beautiful meditation on love loss and loneliness amongst many many other things If you'd like to hear my previous conversations with Emily, you can do that at edithbowman.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Follow us on socials. We are at Soundtracking UK. and We also have a YouTube channel called Soundtracking Extra. Next up, uh, we've got a couple of really exciting episodes coming up. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking Argyle with a fantastic collection of musical minds and creative minds. Matthew Vaughan, Lorne Balfe, Gary Barlow, Stuart Price and Giles Martin join us in one sitting to talk about Argyle. But before that, I'm so thrilled that finally I can talk to you and share my conversation Uh, about Poor Things, which is the new film from Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, It stars Emma Stone, Willem Dafoe, Mark Ruffalo, and for the first time he's used a kind of um, a composer in the traditional sense uh, in the name of Jerskin Fendrix. Jerskin's really managed to tune into the performances, the tone, so much about this film to perfection, and I'm thrilled that we have him on next week's episode of Soundtrack. And so Jerskin Fendricks, the uh, BAFTA and Academy-nominated composer of Poor Things, is your guest on next week's Soundtrack. And I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.